Praise the Lord. What an honor and what a privilege it is to be here today. Hallelujah. Y'all glad to be here this morning? I'm actually glad to be here this morning. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. Brother Heath and Sister Pearl finally made it back. They traveled around the world in 12 days. They had a really good time and saw a lot of neat stuff. And so we're glad they're back. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Book of Exodus, the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came you out in the month of Abib, which is Nisan. It's the fourth month on our calendar, which would be April. It shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be any leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. It shall be for a sign unto thee upon thy hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. It shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he swear unto thee and thy fathers, shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh out of the beast, which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. Thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. It shall be, when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. It came to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, firstborn of beast, Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. It shall be for a token upon thine hand, and for frontless between thine eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, 
and they returned to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. They took their journey from Sukkot and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your mighty presence. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We lift up your holy name. We thank you, God, for your words. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, I need to clarify something first of all for you. If you will go over into the previous chapter, in the 12th chapter, in verse 40, please. It says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. I made a statement last Sunday as soon as I said it and when I left, I knew that I had made a, a sort of a mistake when I said it. I said that that time frame of 430 years began with uh, Jacob going into Egypt with his family. Now, I want to clarify that for you so you'll understand the time frame here. So I, in, in a way, made a mistake there. And I'm glad I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. There's other people that make mistakes, you know. And they make mistakes, and it makes me feel good, really. When other people make mistakes, it makes me feel good because I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. So if you make a mistake, you make me feel good. Hallelujah. So I want to clarify because I've got to be biblically accurate when I teach you. And if I make a mistake, then I have to go back and I've got to fix it. Okay? Go over to the book of Galatians, please. <clears throat> Galatians. In the third chapter, we have a statement. Galatians chapter 3. In the New Testament, gives us a time frame. So the Bible tells us there in the 12th chapter that they were in um, verse 40. The sojourn of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 400 and 30 years. Okay, so when did it start? That's what we want to look at this morning. Okay. Galatians chapter 3. Okay, beginning with verse 16. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Okay, the Bible says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that 
it should make the promise of none effect. Okay, so we have Abraham, right? And we see 480 or 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham, 430 years later, we have the giving of the law. Okay? Now, obviously, Abraham lived before Jacob. So from Abraham to the giving of the law is 430 years. If Israel was in the land of Egypt for 430 years, it could not have begun with Jacob. It had to begin with Abraham. So go over to Genesis chapter 15, and we will see there how Abraham goes into the land. He was actually in the land of promise. 15, verse 7. Okay? I mean, it's not, a, it's not something that's, you know, like really deep or like you're fixing to get slain in the spirit over it, but. Okay? But to be biblically accurate. Genesis 15, 7. He said unto him, I am the Lord. He's speaking to Abraham. I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Okay? So Abraham is in the land. He's already sojourning in the land of promise. So the Bible tells us that from Abraham, that promise being given, there's 430 years to the law. So that means that if Israel was a sojourn in the land of Egypt for 430 years, it had to begin with Abraham because the law wasn't given until after Israel came out of Egypt. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, Jacob, when he took his family, in the book of Genesis we saw him, he took his family into Egypt. When Jacob went into the land of Egypt with his family, they were in the land of Egypt from Jacob's time to the Exodus for 215 years only. You can study the chronology. So where I made my mistake was, I said the 430-year period began when Jacob took his family into Egypt. But he was only in Egypt with his family for 215 years. So you have to back up 215 years to the day of Abraham when Abraham sojourned in the land to get the total of 430 years. Okay? Because from Abraham, the promise given to the giving of the law was 430 years. And the Bible says Abraham or Israel sojourned in the land for 430 years. So you've got to go way back to the time of Abraham. Not just the 215 years when Jacob brought his family up, but all the way back before Jacob entered the land, 215 years before that when Abraham entered into the land. Okay? Just want to put that on tape, Lynn. Because we have so many people that get the tapes. And, and just in case they get the tape, you know, they buy the tape uh, from last week and they get the tape, they're going to get up and preach it and they're going to make a mistake. So hopefully they get the next tape too, which clarifies it, right? You know, I don't want to be preaching things that are not biblically accurate and then some people may get it and they may want to preach it and then find out, well, he, he said it. Remember, you always have to be like a Berean. You have to study. I can get up here and preach things to you, but you have a responsibility to go back to the Word of God for yourself to make sure those things that are being said are in the Bible. Okay, amen. Hallelujah. I'm having fun with you this morning. Y'all don't like me to have fun with you. You want me to be all serious all the time. I know how you are. 
So I start cutting up with you and joking with some of y'all, and y'all just look at me. I say, okay, that's the way you want it. Then I'm just going to be business all the time. You know, I'm never going to smile. I'm never going to cut up with you. I'm never going to joke with you. I'm just going to be business all the time. That's the way you want it. That's the way I'll be with you. But then I'll stand over there and I'll have a good time with some other saint. Amen? So we got that all straightened out, didn't we? Okay, go to the 13th chapter. You can write holiness over the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus. Holiness. What do we have in the 12th chapter? We have redemption by blood. The book of Exodus is the book of redemption. When you're studying the book of Exodus, you're studying the book of redemption. So that what is written in the book of Exodus is a type... It's typology and it's prophetic of what is going to come when Jesus comes. Okay? So redemption in the 12th chapter followed by holiness. All the way through the Bible, you will see this pattern. In the New Testament, same thing. In the book of Acts, you have the plan of salvation. Preached by the apostles to the lost. Following the book of Acts, you have Romans through Jude. And Romans through Jude, after you have the plan of salvation given in Acts chapter 2, really, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Redemption He's provided for us. The book of Acts tells you how to be saved. How you get in the kingdom of God. How you apply the blood. Acts chapter 2. And on and on. Acts 2, Acts 8, okay? Acts 10, Acts 19. So, right after you have the finished work of Jesus in the Gospels and the preaching to the lost by the apostles telling them how to get in the kingdom, then you will find the book of Romans through Jude tells you how to live for Him after you have been redeemed. So you will always... And, and listen... Years and years ago, an official in the organization that I was in at the time, uh, he, talked, he was talking to me on the telephone. And he asked me a question about holiness. He's asking me specifically about what I believe concerning holiness. And I told this elder, I said, in the Bible, you always have it this way. You have redemption followed by holiness. It made him happy. Amen? Because he understood that I knew the importance of holiness. So in the book of Exodus, as, as the rest of Scripture teaches us, you're going to have redemption, the application. You know, Jesus is the Lamb. The application of that to your life. And then practical holiness, how you live after you get redeemed. Okay? So a lot of people experience redemption, they experience salvation, but they stop there and they don't observe holiness. But the Bible pattern is redemption, application of that redemption, followed by practical holiness. So the 12th chapter is redemption. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 13 then is about holiness, which follows redemption, or the Bible term, sanctification 
or holiness. All right, you with me? Okay. Now, the Scripture says, the Lord speaks unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Set it apart. Set the firstborn child, firstborn son, I should say, firstborn son, set that one apart to me. And the firstborn of beast, set that apart to me. Separation, holiness, dedication, sanctification, okay? And the reason why God can say that through Moses to the people and and why God can say that to us is because we've been redeemed or purchased. We The word redemption means to be purchased. You have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. You've been bought with a price. I have been bought with a price. I don't own myself anymore. God owns me because He purchased me. And so now because He purchased me, He can say, you belong to me. So after He redeemed them, then the Lord says, okay, they belong to me. Now, the Egyptians, they didn't apply the blood. Many of them didn't apply the blood. And their firstborn son, including Pharaoh's, was killed by the death angel because they didn't apply the blood, correct? But those of Israel who applied the blood the firstborn was spared. Okay? So now God says, alright, I spared the firstborn. They were saved by blood. Now they belong to me. So set them apart to me. Give them to me. And the purpose ultimately is that He would have a priesthood that would serve Him. Okay? The firstborn was to be the priest unto God. So He says, basically, He's teaching us Typically, that He redeemed them, and now because they're redeemed, they belong to Him. He says, it is mine. Whether it be the firstborn of animals or the firstborn of human beings, God says they belong to Me. Now, amen. We'll get into detail, depth tonight when I preach on the glory cloud, because I'm going to use the same chapter, and I'm going to teach you more in depth on, on, are you with me, on this subject, okay? It's much deeper than what I'm going to touch on this morning. But I feel God is leading me to speak to you tonight about some very important things out of the same chapter. Okay, is everybody with me up to this point? So he says, it is mine. Now think about that. The Bible says that when God went through the land of Egypt, if they didn't have the blood applied, that the firstborn of the Egyptians, they died. They had the sentence of death on them. And so, the sentence of death wasn't just on the Egyptian firstborn. The sentence of death was on even Israel's firstborn. Every firstborn son had the sentence of death upon them. And so, when God said, apply the blood in those three places, if the blood is there, then God would pass over and the firstborn would not die. That means that they were spared from the sentence of death. You with me? 
if you did not have the blood applied, then you weren't spared the sentence of death. Now listen. The plan of salvation and the Lamb being slain wasn't just for the Israelites. The plan of salvation or the you know, the sentence of death being removed by the blood of the Lamb, the Egyptians could have participated in that as well. Okay? Egyptians could have been saved. Not just Israelites, if they had obeyed the plan of salvation. God didn't want to kill the firstborn. But the sentence of death was on the firstborn Egyptian or Israelite. It didn't matter what nation you were a part of. If you were in Egypt, you could have been from a different nation. But as long as you applied the blood and obeyed the plan of salvation, then you would not, the firstborn would not have died. Does that make sense? Okay. So all they had to do was obey the plan of salvation, receive the plan of salvation and the blood of the Lamb. But because they rejected the plan of salvation. Judgment fell on them. Those that obeyed the plan of salvation and applied the blood, that sentence of death, they were spared the sentence of death because the Lamb took their place and died in their place. So, listen carefully. God told them to celebrate this, to commemorate this time when the blood was applied by the Passover lamb and the death angel passed over and the firstborn was spared. And God said, tell your firstborn son what it means. It means, first of all, that God delivered us out of Egypt by the blood of a lamb. So the daddy would tell him, you know, the firstborn, he says, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to kill the lamb? Why do we have to apply the blood? Why do we have to eat bitter herbs? Why do we have to eat unleavened bread? Why, daddy, why do we have to do this? And daddy would teach the firstborn son and say, son, this was God's way of delivering us out of Egyptian bondage. But even more than that, son, because of sin in the life, we had the sentence of death on us. Son, you had the sentence of death upon you. And if you didn't apply the blood, if the lamb didn't die in your place, you would have died as well. But the Lamb died in your place and took the sentence of death upon Him to spare your life. So this is what they would do. They would explain to the firstborn son why they did what they did and the importance of it. Why when they lifted up the knife and put it to the throat of the Lamb and the blood was shed and then applied. Why, when they lifted up the knife, they would say, it is finished. They said the very things that Jesus said when He hung on the cross, when He shed His blood and died. 
He said, it is finished. That's exactly what they would do when they got ready to kill the lamb. By revelation from God, they would say, it is finished. And the father would teach the elder son about the atonement, about the substitution. And it was a type of Jesus Christ coming into the world and taking the sentence of death that was on every one of us and dying in our place so that we could redeem, be redeemed by His blood. Yes, it brought us out of bondage. Yes, it brought us out of slavery. But don't miss the point, son. You had the sentence of death on you. And somebody died vicariously in your place. They died in your place. They took your place. They were your substitute. And because you applied that to your life, you're no longer in the sentence of death. And they would teach the firstborn these things. The firstborn son. And God said, that firstborn son belongs to me because I purchased him. I redeemed him by blood. Now sanctify them. Make them holy unto me. Dedicate them to me. Even the firstborn of, of the animals. And then he makes a very unusual statement in the 13th chapter. He says, also, a donkey can be redeemed. But a donkey has to be redeemed also. If you want to keep the donkey, that's what he's saying. If you want to keep the donkey for yourself, you have to redeem the donkey by a lamb. So God is saying, and, and all these are types, he's in this father would teach his son, and it says, you know, God redeemed us, He bought us, so now we're going to dedicate you to Him for priesthood. And when you see an animal, firstborn is dedicated to God, He said, but something unique with the donkey, you got to redeem it with a lamb. If you want to keep the donkey, you have to replace it with a lamb. Why would God pinpoint the donkey and say that? God says, if you don't redeem that donkey with the lamb, He says, break its neck. And what God is saying in that is that that is a picture of your and my stubborn, rebellious, fallen nature. God can save you. You, okay, don't, okay, I know. That's what the Bible says about us, alright? You don't like to hear it, but when God looks at us, if we haven't been redeemed by the Lamb, he looks at us as stubborn, rebellious donkeys. And he said, a stubborn, rebellious donkey, if you don't redeem it by the lamb, by the lamb, you break its neck. It's of no use to you. You can't use it. Break its neck. And so what God is saying is, He can take mankind who's stubborn and rebellious like a donkey, and He can redeem you by the blood of a lamb. But if you refuse to yield yourself to the lamb and refuse to be redeemed by the blood, God says my judgment is going to come upon you like the breaking of your neck. You reject the plan of salvation, the firstborn dies. 
you refuse to redeem the donkey nature, then God says, break the neck. My judgment is on that kind of person who's still in the first Adam. Those who haven't come in the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Those who are still in that first Adam, they have not been redeemed. And they're still controlled by their donkey nature, their rebellion, and their stubbornness. Those people who reject the plan of salvation and reject redemption, God says, I'm going to break their neck. That's the way God looks at stubbornness. That's the way God looks at rebellion. In my heart and in your heart and anybody else's heart, we must be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But the good news is this. Even those that are stubborn and rebellious, don't keep locking their nature. God says, I'll give you an opportunity to be saved, which is everybody here, including me. I was born in Adam. I was born with a sinful, rebellious, stubborn nature. And it's still in me. And it's still in you. You still have. And I still have that old fallen nature. But the good news is that a new nature has come inside of me alongside of that old nature. And that new nature of Jesus Christ called the Holy Ghost now gives me power to live. Victorious over that old donkey nature. But every once in a while, that old donkey nature starts coming out in me again. That rebellious spirit starts coming out in me again. Are y'all here with me today? That stubbornness, which is as the sin of witchcraft, begins to start coming out in my life. Make sure the new nature is in control. Make sure you're yielding to the new nature and not the old nature that's like a donkey. Because God's judgment is on that old nature. God's judgment is on that rebellion. It's on stubbornness. He said, I'll break its neck if it's not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to think about it. When God went in to the land of Egypt and the firstborn the family that didn't have the blood applied and the firstborn who had the sentence of death upon it, when it died, the Bible says there was a great, great weeping in the land, crying in the land. All they had to do, brothers and sisters, was obey the plan of salvation. Apply the blood. And those that had the sentence of death would have been free just like the Israelites who believed the Word of God and obeyed the plan of salvation. They would have been freed and delivered because they rejected the plan of salvation. The judgment of God came on them. And they started weeping. And they started crying. And the Bible says it was a great wailing in the land of Egypt like it had never been before. Sorrow. Grief and sorrow, people crying out because the firstborn that wasn't redeemed because the plan of salvation was rejected, the firstborn is dead in their arms. This tells me, lets me know that God provides redemption for us. He provides a plan of salvation for us. And if we apply it to our lives, the judgments of God won't come upon us. But for those who reject 
the plan of salvation, the judgment will come upon them. And when that judgment falls upon them, they will wail, they will weep, they will cry. And in some cases, just like these people, when the judgment fell on the firstborn, the sentence of death were there, they started crying and wailing and weeping. It was too late. They couldn't change it. Death had struck. They couldn't turn it around. God gave them opportunity. He gave them plenty of time. Everybody had plenty of time. And can you imagine, church? It's been calculated that 200,000 lambs were slain that first Passover. 200,000 lambs. The Bible says 600,000 men left Egypt. That means 600,000 families took a lamb and killed it and applied the blood. Took that lamb and roasted it. Can you imagine the Egyptians seeing all of this happen? Seeing these people kill 200,000 lambs and, and they're being roasted by fire. Surely the Egyptian would say, what's going on here? Well, they knew. God had told them, gave them the way out. He gave them the plan of salvation so that they wouldn't have to die either. But here he is 600,000 families and 200,000 lambs that are being killed on one day at the same time. I, I tell you, church, if I'd been there and I saw 200,000 lambs calculated, that's, it doesn't say it in the Bible, that's calculated. 200,000 lambs. A lamb per family. I think I'd have got ready too. I think I'd ask the question, what's going on here? What's going to happen here? Well, if you don't take this lamb and kill this lamb and apply the blood to your, to your life, your firstborn's going to die. Really? Yeah. Or get me a lamb. But you see, they didn't. They rejected the plan of salvation. And when the judgment fell, then they start crying. When the judgment fell, then they start weeping. But it's too late. And that's exactly what's going to happen to so many people. Because they think they can come to God when they want to come to God. But the more I study the Bible, I will tell you this, the more I study the Bible, I am finding out that that is not true. That you cannot come to God anytime you want to come to God. The Bible says no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw them. If these people thought, I can get ready anytime. I can cook a lamb on any day. I can do it some other time. The judgment of God fell on them and there was a great weeping in the land of Egypt. I'm telling you right now, that is why it's so serious to reject the plan of salvation and think that you can do it when you want to. That you can get right with God anytime you want to. No, it has to be when God wants to be found. It has to be God when He wants to be sought.
you, it is not true that you can come to God anytime you want to. You keep rejecting the gospel, the plan of salvation. You will experience the judgment of God. And there will be a weeping and a wailing that will be heard from you in hell. It's a prayer meeting that will take place too late. Many people are going to pray. They're going to cry. They're going to weep. But it's going to be too late for them. They played games with God. They rejected the plan of salvation. And so the judgment fell and the firstborn died. Look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah 55. So that's why you have to take God serious. The plan of salvation serious. Your walk Serious. See, some of y'all have this idea, well, you know, I can twist off and I can act up and I don't have to live for the Lord like I... Nah, I'll get ready later on. I'll get ready when I want to. That's not Bible. In Isaiah 55, look at it. Verse 6 says, Seek Ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts and let Him return unto the Lord. And He will have mercy upon Him. Unto our God for He will abundantly pardon. But Isaiah lets us know very clearly that you have to seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. That's telling you while He may be found means when He wants to be found by you. It says seek Him while He's near. When He's drawing you by His Spirit, you better run to Him. It's only when God wants to be found that you can find Him. It's only when God is near that you can be saved. I tell you, church, these kinds of Scriptures should put the fear of God or the respect of God, reverence for God in our hearts. To know that I cannot just come to God anytime I want to and get ready anytime I want to. I have to come to Him when He wants to be found by me. I have to seek Him when He is near. We got to get a hold of the Word of God today. That's what will govern your decisions in life. It'll put a sense of urgency in you when you're trying to witness to family members or friends or, or people around you in the world. It'll put a sense of urgency in you because you don't know if it's their time to find Him, if it's their time for Him to be near to them. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw them. The gates are closing the opportunity for you to come 
And I'm not preaching today to people who are not here. I am preaching to people that are here. When the Lord moves on your heart to get water baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost, you start feeling Him drawing you. You start hearing His voice. It's time for you to be saved. That's when you get saved. Because if you think you can come at any time, you'll be like these people who didn't prepare. They rejected the plan of salvation. And judgment fell. It was too late. The prayer meeting was too late. The judgment had already come. How many people today in hell crying, lamenting in pain and sorrow with a well like you have never heard in your life? And they're saying in hell today, I was going to get right. I was going to return to the Lord. I heard the plan of salvation, but I just didn't want to live for Him. How many people today are in hell? That old saying and believe is true, even though it's not biblical. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. How many people today in hell? Maybe some. But how many people today are in hell who did not have that thought in their mind someday, I'll get right. And they never made it, Brother Chris. That's why you and I have to take every day. Every day is important. Amen. I'm redeemed by the blood, but am I sanctified? Am I living a holy life before God? Amen. Because if I stop living for God, if I reject Him, the judgment may fall upon me. And I was thinking I was going to come back. Remember a story when I first got in the church. First got in the church, there was a young man. They, he was in the church. I mean, he was on fire for God. He was a Hispanic young man. Recently converted, recently baptized in Jesus' name, and recently filled with the Holy Ghost. Church, that young man was so on fire for God. You know how we run sometimes in here and worship God and running? That young man was so on fire for God, he would literally do back handsprings in the church service. He said, that's strange. No, he loved God so much that he gave himself unreserved in his praise to God. This young man left the church. He backslid away from God. New Year's Eve. He was partying with his friends. And he told his friends, New Year's Eve, I'm going to get back to God. I'm going to get back in the church. He had an intention. He got on his motorcycle. He left them with that statement out of his mouth. He never saw another day. He lost control of his motorcycle and was killed instantly. He said, 
I'm going back to God. But it was too late. You can't come to God anytime you want to. You've got to come to God when He wants to be found, when He can be found, and when He is near. And if you don't, the judgment will fall and you will lament and you will wail. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's why God says, today is the day of salvation. We don't have a, a promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. I just tell you, stay on fire. You've been redeemed by the blood. Now the next step, sanctification, holiness. God says to us, you belong to me. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. I don't have a promise of tomorrow. That's why I give myself in praise. Maybe not enough. Give myself to prayer. Give myself to worship. Give myself to come into church. Give myself to be on fire for God. Keeping myself sanctified or set apart from the world. Because I don't want it to be too late for me. And I stand up and I preach to you because I don't want it to be too late for you. And so, that daddy would take that firstborn son and said, Son, this is why we killed the lamb. This is why we prepared unleavened bread. This is why we ate bitter herbs. This is why we applied the blood of the lamb. This is why we put our clothes on our bodies. This is why we put shoes on our feet. This is why we had a staff in our hand ready to go. Because the sentence of death was on you, son. And God gave us a way out. He gave us a plan of salvation. And if we obeyed that plan, God delivered us not only from bondage, but from the sentence of death becoming my substitute. And this is what they would do. They had the responsibility to teach their children. You know, a lot of times people want the church to do it for them. They want the pastor to do it for them. They want the Sunday school teachers to do it for them. But it's not ultimately the Sunday school teacher's responsibility to teach your children. Even mine. It's your responsibility to teach your children. And we're going to find out what are they taught. The power of God. They're going to be, you teach them the power of God. We're going to see it in this passage. The power of God. Teach them. By exposing to them the enemy. Teach them by showing them the judgments of God that fall upon people that are not prepared. Teach them. Let me repeat myself. The power of God. Exposing the enemy. And the judgments of God. You've got to teach them. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And I oft, I'm sure my, my kids oftentimes get tired of me always questioning this and that and talking to them and exhorting them and encouraging them. And they probably get tired of it. But that's my responsibility as a parent to 
teach them the power of God yes, sir. To, to expose the enemy and to tell them the judgments of God that's going to come if they don't live for it. And so the firstborn son was taught all of these things by his father, the elder in the house, the parent. Come to God when He's near. Come to God when He can be found. Before it's too late. Son, you were spared by the blood of a lamb. But there were some, son, that weren't spared. The judgment of God fell on them because they rejected the plan of salvation. Really, Daddy? There was a weeping in the land. The prayer meeting was too late. The judgment of God came. I believe the Lord has put a sense of urgency in me in this hour to preach to you like I'm preaching to you because I believe we're in the last days. Amen. I'm preaching to people today, you belong to God. He purchased you. You're, you are His firstborn. I'm looking at God's firstborn this morning. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Israel was God's firstborn. Then a whole tribe, the Levites, became God's firstborn. If you wanted to keep your son, you could redeem them. Five shekels, Numbers chapter 3. You could buy them back. Five shekels of silver. Silver is the type of redemption. You could buy them back. If you wanted to keep that animal, you could keep that animal. You could buy it back. It's called redemption money. If you wanted to keep it. But you had to pay this, the, 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 uh, the five shekels to redeem your firstborn. Amen. And at Mount Sinai, God's going to choose one tribe, the tribe of Levi, to be His priest. But there's not enough Levites to cancel out all the firstborn of all the other tribes. So if you want to keep them, you have to redeem them with silver. The price of redemption. Silver is a type of redemption. Amen? But you couldn't keep a donkey. If, it, if you didn't want to redeem the donkey, you couldn't keep it. You'd have to break its neck. The donkey must be redeemed. You could buy it back. And not the donkey, but you could buy other animals back. You could buy your firstborn son back if you wanted to keep him. But you had to pay five shekels. You see this in Numbers chapter 3. Why are you doing this, Daddy? Why would you bring five shekels of silver to God? I'm buying you back, son. And that's the price of redemption. Because see, you belong to God. And if we want to keep you, we have to pay the price to redeem you. Say amen. But they spent time teaching their children. You belong to God. 
But listen, you say only the firstborn? No, no, no. You've got to realize that the firstfruits are the firstborn. When you give the firstfruits of the firstborn to God, you're giving the whole family. So when the firstborn was dedicated to God, the whole family was dedicated to God. When the first fruits were dedicated to God, the whole thing was dedicated to God. It wasn't just the firstborn that belonged to God, it was all of Israel. But that first fruits or that firstborn represented the whole. Teach your children. When you bring your tithe to God, 10% of your gross. You know, you can always start chopping it down. Well, I gotta pay bills here and I gotta pay taxes here. You can chop it down to almost nothing for some of it because there ain't nothing left. You bring your tithe to God off of the top. Because He wants your possessions too. He doesn't just want you, He wants your animals. He wants your possessions. And this is where people have a problem. They will say, well, I belong to God, but what about your possessions? He wants the animals too. But anyway, when you bring that tithe to the Lord, or you bring first fruits to God, you know what you're doing? God counts it as the whole. He doesn't count it as 10%. He counts it as, as you gave everything because that first fruits represents the whole. Amen. Any way you look at it, you got redemption all around. The first fruits represent the whole. And if you want to keep the first fruits, you've got to redeem it by silver, which is a type of the blood. Redeem, redeem, redeem. Amen, amen, amen. But after redemption, you need to understand holiness. Does everybody understand the word of the Lord? So those parents spent a lot of time teaching their children what happened to those who rejected the plan of salvation. What God for them did for them when He brought them out. Everything they did, all these types, was to teach them about redemption and sanctification. Verse 3. Moses said unto the people, Remember this day. Say, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. He said, God says, You're going to commemorate this day. It's called the Passover. It's called the Feast of Passover, of Pesach. The Feast of Passover. So every year, church, every year, approximately 1,500 years B.C. was when Israel came out of the land. Approximately. Okay, I believe it was 1446, 1447 to be exact. B.C. I'll check the date. But approximately 15 years after Israel came out of the promised land, every year at church they observed the Feast of Passover. They took the lamb, killed the lamb, got bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and went through the process of remembering what the Lord had done and teaching their children what it all meant. 1,500 years plus 2,015. 
3,515 years. The Jews have been practicing this every year so they can remember God and what God did so they can honor God. It's about remembering you are in covenant with God Himself. He bought you with the blood. You're dedicated to God. This is what He did for us. For 3,515 years, they have observed the Passover, the Jews. To remember. <coughs> it's important for us to remember. Go to Psalm 106. <coughs> the Bible says, pardon me. What happens when you forget? Somebody say praise the Lord. Psalm 106. Verse 13. Thy son forget, they soon forget his works. They waited not for his command or his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. There came a time when Israel didn't remember. They stopped remembering what God had done for them. They forgot. And the Bible's very clear when, when they forgot His works, they waited for not, not for His counsel. See what happens? If we don't remember what God has done for us on a daily basis, what's the next step? When you forget His works, next step, they waited not for His counsel. If you, don't, if you forget God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start losing your excitement for His Word. His counsel is not going to mean much to you anymore. Progressively, when you and I forget God, His Word's not important to me anymore. I go to church and I'm not excited about the Word anymore. I'm not excited about the preaching anymore. And the reason why you're no longer excited about the Word of God is because you have forgotten His works. That's why He said to them, Remember, when you forget God, it's equal to apostasy. That's why it's so important for me to keep preaching the Word of God to you and to me because I'm remembering today. And when I forget God, I'm going into apostasy. And pretty soon I won't be excited about going to church anymore. I won't be excited about the Word of God anymore. And then the third thing happens. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. 
you fail to remember God, you'll stop being excited about His Word. When you stop being excited about His Word, you reject His Word, the next thing will happen, evil conduct will begin to come into your life. A lack of holiness. You will abandon holiness. And you will walk after your own lust. That's why it's important for us to remember God. Because if I remember God, if I commemorate what He's done for me, I'll stay excited about His Word. And His Word will keep me from sin. Sin will keep you from the Word of God. Or the Word of God will keep you from sin. And when you lose your excitement for the Word of God, you're headed down. Because you forgot Him. You are beginning to backslide. You are beginning to apostatize. And you will forget His Word, reject His counsel, and start living like the devil. Go back to your old lifestyle. Revert back to type like a wild rose bush that's not pruned. Or a domesticated animal that is turned back into the wild. Now it starts reverting back to type. Its old nature begins to come out. The Word of God keeps you pruned. It keeps that rose from growing wild. It keeps that old donkey nature inside of us from going wild on us. I need the Word of God to cut and to trim my life. You start forgetting God. You say, Pastor, how can I know if I'm forgetting God if I'm not remembering? You're starting to forsake Him. And His Word doesn't excite you anymore. And that leads to evil conduct. So that when you see in Exodus 13 when, it's, when God is saying remember in verse 3, Remember this day which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And there shall no leavened bread be eaten, because that's a type of sin. This day came you out in the month of Eden. Amen. Remember that day. Commemorate that day. Verse 5, it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep his service in this month. So God, I'm going to bring, God says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But remember this day. You see what he was saying? He's saying when God starts blessing your life, when God starts prospering you like with a land flowing with milk and honey, don't forget to worship God. Don't forget your service to God. There are appointed days to meet with Him. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. So much more so as you see that day approaching. 
When you stop going to church, I don't care what excuse you have, you are in disobedience to the Word of the living God. And I know every once in a while, it's necessary, needful. But when you, when you stop going to church altogether, God said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You start getting blessed. I'm going to tell you what happens to people. Man, they first get in the church, they drive it up in their, you know, cars, the doors open, the doors fall off, they're all rusting, the tires are bald. I mean, you can see them. If you can, if you can afford steel belted radials, you can see the steel in there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, they get redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They start living for God. God starts prospering them, blessing them life. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they quit going to church. We used to have a sister who used to come here. She's still living for God as far as I know. She used to come here. She said, you know what, Pastor? She said, I'll tell you what. As soon as I see somebody drive up in a new car, I know it won't be long. They're going to stop coming to church. I said, really? She said, yeah, I've noticed that. Well, they're driving an old beater, you know, old beater. Barely can make it to church. They'll come to church. But then they get a new car and they stop living for God. They get, start getting blessings in their life, stop living for God. God says, when I take you into that land of promise, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, He said, you're going to be tested. Will you continue to observe that day? And it's not just one day. They started on the 13th searching for leaven, getting leaven out of their house. They observed Passover on the 14th day of the month. And then for seven more days, from the 15th to the 21st, they observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's over a week of worship. Some people have a hard time coming to church and listening to a two-hour message. If you multiply that by three, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's about seven hours. Some people have a hard time giving God seven hours of their life. God said, not only are you going to observe that day, but seven more after that. That would be hard on your flesh. That's why today there's so many churches, they don't have very many more services. Some churches have quit having church on Sunday night. They just have it Sunday morning. Maybe a Wednesday. Maybe. The church has even abandoned those meetings. Because it's hard on the flesh. Flesh don't like it. I got better things I can do. I can be doing this and I, I can be doing that. No, God says, you remember me. You remember this day. You dedicate your life to God. Even if it's hard on the flesh. Even if it's not convenient for you. You will be tested when you start prospering. Will you serve Him? Will you serve Him? How many of y'all? Hey, I believe personally God wants to bless some of y'all financially. But He knows if He did, you'd quit living for Him. You get so busy with business, so busy working that your whole brother talked about it. He said, I go to work. 
I sell cars to make a living. But he said, I'm not a car salesman. I'm a man of God first. Say praise the Lord. Don't forget me. God says, don't forget, remember when you're prospering. How many are thankful for the goodness of God? <coughs> Brother Dice used to tell me when he's alive, we started church over there on Brass. We had an old tin building. It's a shop, a machine shop. We converted into a church. Man, people get excited. They would run and worship God. We still do, thank God. But you know the pastor in Midland, they, when they come to church, they didn't act like Pentecostals. They acted more like Baptists. In a Pentecostal church. They'd sit there. And your brother died. And they had a beautiful sanctuary church. In, in Dye's fashion. He told this pastor, elder man. I knew him very well. I'm not going to name him. I knew him very well. Elder. Okay. White-haired man. Brother Dice told him, he said, you need to sell that beautiful sanctuary and get a barn. Get a barn so people can worship God. They're too comfortable. They're too comfortable. Hallelujah. How many of y'all like comfort? You like the chairs? You like to sit in nice chairs? You like to be in a nice, cold, cool sanctuary? Praise the Lord. Amen? But you start prospering as a people and sometimes you, you stop worshiping. You stop serving. You stop giving yourself. You start forgetting God. No. God is number one in your life. He's number one in my life. That's why sometimes you start texting me about how, how you know, okay, I won't be in church. And it's going to go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. You're going to hear cricket, 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 cricket. That means you're not going to hear back from me. That's what my wife says. Silence. Because you're not in the will of God. I don't care how you slice it, you're not in the will of God. You have to remember God. How many of y'all believe what I'm saying to you? How many believe the Word of God? Now you can, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm not going to listen to the pastor. I'm going to do it my way. You watch. It's going to start falling apart on you. Because if you forget Him, you are apostatizing. His Word won't be exciting to you anymore and it will produce evil conduct in your life. Whatever you got to do, man, to create some fire. Whatever you got to do inside of you. Whatever you got to do with yourself. Whatever you got to do with your life. Whatever changes you have to make. Do them. Because you will not make it without commemorating Him. Having a place, a time where you come and you give yourself to God and you worship God and you hear His Word and you love His Word. It will protect you from backsliding. Somebody forgets God, I promise what's going to happen. They're going to quit going to church. They're going to stop loving the Word of God. And they're going to go back to their old lifestyle. You will return as a dog to your vomit. Okay? Look at your neighbor and smile. Say, man, Pastor, when you preach, you get this serious look on your face. Well, I'm doing surgery. 
What do you want me to do? A surgeon doing surgery on... You know, man, if somebody's cutting on me, I wouldn't want him to be laughing. <laughs> hey, hey. Man, somebody doing surgery on me, I want them like... You say, man, Pastor, you scare me, man. You get this look on your face, you scare me. I'm doing surgery, man. Trying to focus. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I want him to cut on me today. But I want him to be serious when he does. Amen. You know, and obviously, you know, if you're being cut on, I don't expect you to be laughing either. <laughs> yeah, this feels good. You go, ouch, ooh, oh, man, yeah. like Ramon over here. Sunday night, ouch, ooh, wow. <laughs> Amen. What's happening, brother? You being cut on, man. You want the knife sharp, don't you, too? You want a serious surgeon and you want the knife sharp, don't you? That means you want the person to have knowledge. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God. You want it sharp. You want it cut. You don't want somebody whittling on you with a dull knife. I'm getting there. I'll make it sharp. As little pain as possible. Hallelujah. Remember God when He starts blessing your life. How many of you thank God for the Word? So again, this is about holiness. It's about remembering. It's about serving Him. It's about dedication. It's about sanctification after redemption. Now watch. Alright, I'm about to give you some very powerful information about how the Jews to this day, how they observe the Passover. They have four cups. When they sit down at their table and they observe the Seder. Seder means order. When they observe the order, they got four cups of wine. Unfermented. The fruit of the vine. Four cups. One is the cup of sanctification. Number two. The second cup is the cup of thanksgiving. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup is the cup of completion. Along with those four cups, sanctification, thanksgiving, redemption, and completion, there is the afikomen. And the afikomen is the bread, the unleavened bread. They have a cloth. And they put three pieces of unleavened bread in this cloth. And in the center compartment, they place what is called the afikomen in the center. What do the four cups mean? What is the afikomen in the center compartment? What does it mean? They have the herbs on the table. They have the lamb on the table to observe the Passover. 
Are we supposed to, as a people, are we supposed to keep the Passover? Is the Lord's Supper the Passover? Or is it something totally new? Very quickly, these four cups. In the Gospel of John, Jesus will observe four Passovers. And in each of those Passovers, He fulfills each of those four cups. Where did the Jews get this? The need for four cups. The alphacom and the bread is there. The matzah or the unleavened bread. Go back to Exodus 6 and verse 6. Say praise the Lord. Number one, Exodus 6 and verse 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you out. That's sanctification. Hence, the cup of sanctification. The first thing God said, and it's strange to me, He said seven things. He said seven I wills in Exodus chapter 6. But only four of them were chosen by the Jews. So the first cup represents the Lord bringing them out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Sanctification. The second cup, the cup of thanksgiving. I will rid you out of their bondage. The cup of thanksgiving. The third cup. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Third cup. Redemption. Number seven. Verse seven. And I will take you to me for a people. Fourth cup. Cup of completion. Sanctification. Thanksgiving. Redemption and completion. So when the Jews observed the Feast of Passover, they had those four cups. Jesus fulfilled the Passover Seder. The Passover pointed to Him when He would come. So you would expect Him to fulfill the cup of sanctification, the cup of thanksgiving, the cup of redemption, and the cup of completion when He came. And that's exactly what He did in the Gospel of John in four Passovers. In John chapter 1, to begin with, John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning takes you back to the book of Genesis. Amen? What does it say in Genesis 1 and 1? In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. John says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So right here John is pointing you back to Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning Elohim, or God, created the heavens and the earth. John is telling you who Jesus is. He is the God of Genesis. He is the Creator God, the God of Genesis, and He is the King of Genesis. So John says, as he teaches you about Jesus throughout his Gospel, he's telling you, He's the one that was in the beginning. God, the God of Genesis and the God of creation, the God who is the King, who has come here to sanctify you. Cup one. To sanctify you. What does he go on and say? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That doesn't mean beside Him. You can't separate a man's Word from himself. Still talking about one God. You can't separate my Word from me. I'm not a second person. My Word is not a second person outside of my body. And the Word was with God. You can't separate a man's Word from himself. Okay? The Logos, the Word, the Logos, the plan, the thought. When it says the, the, the Word was with God, it says His thought was with Him. His plan was with Him. The Logos. Now watch. So again, it's talking to you about Jesus as God. Verse 3, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So this God, who's the God of Genesis from the beginning, this God who created the heavens and the earth, this God who is the King, this God who is the God of creation, this God came to separate you from darkness. To sanctify you. The cup of redemption, or the excuse me, the first cup, the cup of sanctification to bring us out of darkness. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Creator God, this God of Genesis, this God who come to, came to sanctify and bring us out of darkness, this God, are you all with me here today? The thought, the plan of God is now personified in Jesus Christ. He's here. He's come to bring us out of darkness. Not separate from the Father, but God Himself. First Passover. This God who's come to bring us out of darkness. This God who has come to sanctify us. In the second chapter, 
the first cup of, of sanctification is fulfilled in the first Passover of John. When you have time, read it. Verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money city. And he, when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of monies of money and overthrew the tables. Amen. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make it not, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the seal of thine house hath eaten me up. So the first Passover of John, this God of Genesis, this God who is the creator, this God who is the true king, as God has the authority to go into his temple and to do what? Sanctify it. Purify it. Purge out of it by way of judgment things that hinder his worship. And when he do this sanctifying process, the first Passover, he fulfilled the first cup, which is the cup of sanctification. Now go back to keep your place in John and go back to Exodus chapter 6. Are y'all here? And what was the first thing God said in verse 6? Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to sanctify you to myself. I'm going to set you apart to myself. I'm going to remove sin from your life. I'm going to purge and purify your life from sin. And that's exactly what you see Jesus doing. On the first Passover. The second cup. The cup of thanksgiving. Go to John chapter 5. <coughs> John chapter 5 is the second Passover. Get six, Exodus 6 and 6 so you can help me. The second thing that God said to Israel, which the second cup of thanksgiving commemorates is this. Read it, brother. 6, 6, Exodus 6, verse 6. I will rid, what do you say? I will what? Rid you out of their bondage? The second cup that they take Thanksgiving on Passover is to commemorate that same that statement, I will rid you out of their bondage. Between the first cup and the second cup, the Afikoman, before I get to the second cup, the Afikoman, which was in the center, is the center chamber of that cloth. Three pieces of bread. The Afikoman in the center. Between the first cup, the cup of sanctification, the second cup, the cup of thanksgiving, they take the Afikoman out of the center compartment and they break it. 
they put a part, a little piece of it back in the center. And they take the larger piece and they go hide it. The children get to go hide it in the house. Afakoman is not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word which means He is coming. The Afakoman in the middle is broken. The Jews say today that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when was Isaac ever broken? No. That centerpiece of bread in that middle compartment that cloth represents the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not three separate persons, but one God manifested three ways. And it's the center bread, the Son. God manifest in the flesh that's taken out and is broken. And then the children go hiding at the end of Passover. They go and find it again. Alpha Coleman. He's coming. Hung on to that. The Bible says, God says in Exodus 6, verse 6, I will rid you from the bondage, their bondage. The cup of thanksgiving. Today, the Jews, for over 3,500 years, the days the Jews, first cup to commemorate sanctification, Afrikaans broken. And then the second cup, they take that cup the cup of thanksgiving and they take ten drops of that fruit of the vine and they drop ten drops on a platter. And the whole time they drop those ten drops on the platter which represents one of each one of the ten plagues. They're worshiping and praising God. And they make a statement as they thank, give Him thanks and drop those ten drops of, of the fruit of the vine on the platter, they make a statement. It would have been enough. And what they mean by that, it would have been enough if He had just delivered us from their bondage. Or if He would have just... What was the first one? It would have been enough if He had what? 6-6 six, six, first reading. It would have been enough if He brought us out from the burdens of Egypt. The ten drops on the plate. But I will rid you out of their bondage. Second cup, the cup of thanksgiving. They say it would have been enough if He would have sent His judgments, His ten plagues, and brought us out of Egypt. But He went further than that and He caused the Red Sea to open up and we went over on dry ground. So they offer thanksgiving to God and say it would have been enough, but He did more. As they take that second cup, the cup of thanksgiving. Jesus fulfilled the second cup in the second Passover in chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's the feast of Passover. Later in the chapter, it will tell you. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida having five porches and these lay a great in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk a blind halt withered waiting for the moving of the water 
waiting for the troubling of the water. In the second Passover, he attended. For an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then were, then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So just like they said in the second cup of Thanksgiving, Jesus fulfills at the second Passover, they celebrate when He did more than enough and caused them to go through the Red Sea. And Jesus saying on the Passover, I'm fulfilling that cup of Thanksgiving because I'm the one that is in charge of the troubling of the waters. I'll strengthen your legs to get through the troubled waters. I'll strengthen your walk to get through the troubled waters. And when you study the other Gospels, you will find in connection to this water miracle, Jesus gets in a boat with His disciples and they're on the water in the midst of the storm and He comes walking on the water in the midst of the storm. He's letting them know, I'm the God who caused the Red Sea to open. I'm the God who gets you through your troubled waters. I'm the God that does more than enough. I'll get you through your storms in life. So He fulfills the cup of thanksgiving. The sixth chapter, the third feast that Jesus, the third Passover that Jesus goes up to, the cup of redemption is fulfilled. What does Jesus do in the sixth chapter? He takes bread and He breaks bread and He feeds 5,000. And then he starts teaching them on the Passover. And he says this in verse 48. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He said he's the true bread. And he goes on down and he says this. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoso readeth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. He explains how you do it. You get in him... The blood's applied in water baptism. You get in Him and He gets in you by way of the Holy Ghost. That's how you drink His eat His flesh and drink His blood. So the third Passover, 
He's speaking to them about redemption. In fulfillment to the cup of redemption. What's the third thing they say in Exodus 6 and verse 6? And I will redeem you with what? A stretched out arm. Jesus comes and says, I'm the true bread from heaven. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They're dead. That wasn't the true bread. He said, I'm the true bread. He talks to them about the bread and the wine. And he lets them know he's the fulfillment. He's the one who brings redemption. The fourth cup is the cup of completion. John 13 through 17, Jesus, in the time of the Passover, whoa, somebody say praise the Lord. I've got to tell you one other thing before I go on concerning the cup of redemption. Where did it happen? When he talks about it, the bread and his body and his blood. Where did it happen? Where did he observe Passover? This took place. The Sea of Tiberias, near the Sea of Tiberias. This wasn't take, this didn't take place in Jerusalem. This took place in Gentile territory. You see that? This took place where a sacrifice could not be made. And he's telling them, I'm the true bread. I'm the fulfillment. He did it in Gentile territory. Fourth and final cut before I lose your attention. The final time that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, the 13th chapter through the 17th chapter. He goes up to Jerusalem to observe the feast of Passover. And this is where he fulfills the fourth cup. What is the fourth statement? I will take you to myself. Read it. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. Amen. I will take to you. What does it say the wording? For a people. That's the fourth, that's it. That's the fourth thing that they observe. The fourth cup, the cup of completion. When he takes to himself his people in the kingdom. When he comes and receives you in that time of completion and brings you into his kingdom. So no wonder in the 14th chapter he says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He gives them the promise of taking to Him His people in the kingdom. So Jesus fulfilled the four cups, the cup of sanctification, the cup of thanksgiving, the cup of redemption, and the cup of completion in those four feasts of Israel. In John chapter 2, when He sanctifies the temple, that's what He does for us. In John chapter 5, when He healed the man 
in connection to troubled waters and then walks on the water to his disciples doing more than what is enough. The cup of redemption in the 6th chapter in the 3rd Passover where he talks to them about him being their redeemer and the 4th cup and the 4th Passover where he tells them I'm going to prepare a place to you for you so you can be with me. The Alpha Coleman, after it's broken, representing Jesus as God in the flesh, after that Alpha Coleman, which means He is coming, is broken. At the end of the Passover, the children, in order to keep them awake during the celebration, get, they participate in this. And they run and they find the large piece of the bread, which means He's coming. in between the first and second cup, which I taught you. The second cup was connected to the crossing over the Red Sea. The first cup, sanctification. You with me? That bread is broken. That's what He did for me. His body was broken for you and for me. And that piece of bread that is hidden but then found, which means He's coming, is telling you the one that died for you is coming back. He's going to die. He's going to be broken. But He's going to rise from the dead. And not only is He going to rise from the dead, but the Lord... But listen, the supper points to the kingdom. We will eat it with Him in the kingdom. He's coming again. And they get so excited when they find that Alpha Coleman. Now listen. This, between the first and second cup is when it's broken. The second cup was connected to water, right? And the crossing of the Red Sea. You know what Jews do today? Not everywhere, but in certain locations in the world. When they observe Passover, they get a little piece of the bread, the Alpha Coleman. And they put it in their pocket. And when they're traveling abroad by sea, they take that bread and they throw it in the water. And they say, God will calm the storm. And they believe if a storm comes because of the apple bread that's placed in the water, that God calms the storm. The bread was broken right before the second cup of thanksgiving connected with the crossing of the Red Sea and Jesus healing the man's legs so he could make it through his troubled waters. Do you understand what I'm telling you? But to this day, the Jews still cannot recognize that that Alpha Coleman in the center compartment is Jesus that was broken. Going to Matthew. Do we, do we observe the Passover today? I say to you, my personal, personal conviction is that Jesus Christ fulfilled every cup of the Passover. Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, is the Passover lamb. When Jesus, before He died, He did, I personally believe, did observe the Passover. The lamb was there. The herbs was there. 
The unleavened bread was there. The apple coleman was there. I believe the four cups were at His table. But Jesus said on that night when He observed the Passover with His disciples before He went to the cross and died, He said something that was never said in history when they observed the Passover. Never was said before. And these disciples knew what He was saying. Matthew 26, let's look at it. Verse 18, he said, Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. There's always a Judas in the house. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, ah, oh, what are they eating the Passover? Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body he took the alpha Coleman in the center compartment which all Jews had done for hundreds of years but he said something that was never said in history when he took that bread out of the middle compartment and he broke it. He said, this is my body. That had never been said before. And those disciples knew exactly what he was saying. He said, I am the fulfillment of the Alpha Coleman. I am the fulfillment of that bread that's in the center compartment. You can imagine what was going through their minds. For 1,500 years, they had been going through this ceremony. And Jesus took it and said, I'm the fulfillment of it never said in history before that day. The Bible tells us He took the cup and gave what? Thanks. And gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it for this is My blood. of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He took that old Passover and He fulfilled that old Passover which pointed back to the history of the Jews. And He said, I'm the fulfillment 
of the Afrikoman. I'm the fulfillment of the covenant. And he instituted a totally new meal called the Lord's Supper. He fulfilled the old, looking back to the past. And now when we take the Lord's Supper, we look back to the cross. What he said that night, it would never have been said in the Passover. Never been said in history. He said, I'm the fulfillment of it. So when Paul writes about this supper, he doesn't call it Passover. He doesn't talk about the need to get a lamb. Because he'd already said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Paul doesn't say anything about a lamb because the lamb has already been slain. He doesn't say anything about bitter herbs. He doesn't say anything about it because Jesus fulfilled it. He doesn't even call what you and I observe today, He doesn't even call it the Passover. He calls it the Lord's Supper. So in, the first, in 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. See, you're, you're observing it the wrong way. He calls it the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before others own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. And you say, oh, I can't believe that people get drunk before they take the Lord's Supper. Really? And what are you intoxicated with? You say, well, I don't drink beer, I don't drink alcohol, but you're intoxicated sometimes with yourself. You're intoxicated with your pride. You're intoxicated with your flesh. You're intoxicated with your ego. Drunk on yourself. What have you not houses to eat and to drink in or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? You with me here? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in these things? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which He was betrayed took bread and when He had given thanks He brake it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye also as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this blood, or eat this, uh, eat his, eat this bread, excuse me, and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Not one time does Paul call it Passover. And not one time does he talk about the lamb or the bitter herbs. He talks about the bread and the wine. Because he knows Jesus fulfilled all the cups in those four Passovers. He knows Jesus, are you with me, fulfilled the Alpha Coleman. He knows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. And so now when we take it, we take it as the Lord's Supper. Okay? Now if you want to observe the Seder, that you might learn, God bless you. But the Passover and the Passover, the, the Feast of Passover and the Lamb 
is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You need to know that. Now, had Paul been preaching to the Corinthian church, which was a Gentile church, and he would have called it Passover, the meal, Passover, if he would have called, talked about a lamb being there and bitter herbs being there, we would continue to observe the Passover. But we know Jesus fulfilled the Passover and instituted a completely brand new thing. And on that night, what he said would have shocked the Jew because it was never said in history before. This is my body. And this cup is the cup of the New Testament. Every type, every shadow is fulfilled in Jesus Christ to the letter. Give God a hand clap of praise. And the Jews day by or each year, they, they, they observe Passover. They don't realize those four cups have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. They don't realize that He is the broken bread that's going to come back, the Alpha Coleman. They don't realize it. Maybe someday their eyes will open to the truth that the Passover pointed to, even Christ Jesus. I pray that it does. I pray that it does. So as I come to a close, let's go over to the book of Exodus. So he tells them to remember the Passover. The Jews do it today. When you get in your land and the land is flowing with milk and honey, don't forget in your time of your prosperity to remember. Because if you forget, you apostatize. Amen? Now, I feel led to say this one thing. If any of you come to me and say, Pastor, I feel like I need to observe the Passover, you go right ahead. I don't have a problem with that. Amen? But I'm fully convinced in my own heart that Jesus fulfilled it. And Paul knew it too. That's why he said, Jesus is your Passover. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day shall be a feast unto the Lord. It's going to end. The thirteenth day they found the leaven, got rid of it. The fourteenth day Passover is observed. Seven more days, the fifteenth through the twenty-first. A week of observing unleavened bread. At the end of that time, a great celebration takes place. Amen. He's coming again. He's coming again. And the children will get excited about it. They found, we found it, Mom. We found the bread. It was hid, but now we see. We found it. So, he goes on and he talks. I'm going to jump over a few verses here about the firstborn, which we made reference to at the beginning. Verse 14, This day shall be unto you for a memorial. You shall keep the feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep a fast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day shall you put away leaven out of your house. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Of course, we have to apply this in a spiritual way now. Because it's a type and it's prophetic. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. In the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done unto you, save that which every man must eat that only may be done of you. 
and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day in your generation my ordinance forever. Amen. In that first month on the 14th day of the month at even month you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your house for whosoever eateth that which is leavened even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he be hungry or born or be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. And everybody said Amen and Amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we stand in Your presence today and we thank You once again for delivering us from our bondage. Thank You, Lord, today for paying the price I had the sentence of death upon me. Thank You for being my Passover lamb, dying in my place. Thank You for fulfilling each one of the promises that you made. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise today. You are the true King, the true Creator of the heavens and the earth. Coming to this earth to sanctify us. You did more than enough. You bring us through our troubled waters, storms of life. You are the bread your body's the bread. Lord Jesus, your blood was shed for us to redeem us. And someday, Lord, you're going to come back. As the Apple Coleman describes, and you will take us unto yourself. And we'll be with you forever and ever in your kingdom. And we offer you praise and thanksgiving for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You lift your hands and offer Him praise. Offer Him thanksgiving. You have an opportunity this morning to remember Him and all that He's done for you.